0: During the recent international furor over the film The Interview, which ostensibly reduced North Korea into a comedy, I couldn't help remembering one unforgettable scene in Charlie Chaplin's 1940 film The Great Dictator. Chaplin plays the role of an Adolf Hitler lookalike, complete with the small black moustache, though Hitler's name is never used. But the likeness of Hitler to Chaplin's creation... Adnoid Hinkle, is plain for all to see. In the scene I remembered, Hitler, Chaplin, waves his top aide out of his office. I want to be alone. The dictator wants to be alone with a balloon on which all the countries of the world are outlined. Chaplin then does an exquisite balloon dance with the globe, perfectly illustrating his desire to conquer the world. His conquest seems to be almost complete, and then the balloon bursts, becoming a useless piece of rubber in his hands. Chaplin, the would-be great dictator, bursts into tears of frustration. The scene, and much of the film, is a perfect piece of political satire, spoilt for some critics, like the late Roger Ebert, only by a three-minute speech at the very end of the film, when Adnoid Hinkle becomes political idealist Charlie Chaplin. To my surprise, I found this balloon scene by itself on YouTube, just right in Charlie Chaplin's Dance with the Globe, and up it comes from the internet. Given all the eccentricities of the Kim dynasty in North Korea, the interview could have been a perfect vehicle for another savage satire and an international smash hit into the bargain. But obviously those who made the movie for Sony were completely unaware of this. So all you get is a lot of crude humour and much that is in poor taste. This is exemplified when the imitation Kim Jong-un is assassinated at the end of the movie. The fact that in response, North Korea organized its reported 6,000 cyber warriors to attack Sony's computers is hardly surprising. Just imagine what the American reaction would have been, the fury that would have been unleashed if the North Koreans had produced a film which ended with the assassination of their version of President Barack Obama. The Americans might not have stopped at attacking North Korea's few computers. The more important point is that in this world of terrorism, assassinations are too frequent to be treated as a subject for comedy. But the distinct threat to world order, which is still posed by North Korea's Kim dynasty, came to mind this week as the South Korean Defense Ministry issued its biennial defense white paper which stressed that North Korea now possessed a significant capability to miniaturize a nuclear warhead which could be mounted on a ballistic missile capable of reaching the west coast of the United States. Quote, North Korea's capabilities of miniaturizing nuclear weapons appear to have reached a significant level, unquote, the White Paper said, according to South Korea's Yonhap News Agency. Quote, "North Korea is presumed to have secured some 40 kilograms of weapons-grade plutonium by reprocessing spent fuel rods multiple times and it is evaluated to have been working on the highly enriched uranium program" Unquote. As far as is known North Korea's three nuclear tests so far have been all plutonium-based explosions On North Korea's intercontinental reach, the white paper tends to be presumptive rather than deductive. Quote, North Korea is presumed to have missile capabilities that could threaten the United States mainland since North Korea has fired off long-range missiles five times, unquote. But the New York Times reported that South Korean officials stressed that North Korea has yet to conduct a test to demonstrate an ability to deliver a nuclear warhead by missile at such a long distance, that is, reaching the west coast of the United States. The White Paper did not elaborate on how South Korean officials had reached their conclusions, except for North Korea putting a satellite into orbit on a long-range rocket in 2012 and North Korea's third underground nuclear test in February 2013. One reality which emerges from all such estimates are the fluctuating U.S. perceptions of the North Korean trans-Pacific threat. Thus, Defense Secretary Robert Gates, writing in his memoir, Duty, of his meetings with top Chinese leaders in Beijing early in 2011, quote, warned that North Korea's nuclear and missile programs had reached a point where the U.S. president had concluded they represented a direct threat to the United States and we would react accordingly if they did not stop, unquote. Separately, but at roughly the same time, Gates also predicted that North Korea was within five years of being able to strike the continental United States with an intercontinental ballistic missile. This was widely taken to mean that the North might be able to do it by 2016. Then, in April 2013, the US Defense Intelligence Agency, the DIA, said that it had moderate confidence that North Korea had mastered the technology of building a miniaturized weapon to fit atop a missile. Yet within days of that statement, President Barack Obama said that he did not believe the North had that capability. More recently, in October 2014, General Curtis Scaparotti, commander of all U.S. forces in Korea, said he believed North Korea was capable of building a miniaturized nuclear warhead. They have the technology to potentially actually deliver what they say they have, he said, though he also stressed that they have yet to accomplish this through tests. Threat possessions may vary, but the threat remains constant. What also remains constant is the underlying reality. The reality of the Korean War is not yet over. The Korean armistice was supposed to bring peace, but all it has achieved is a ceasefire, and sometimes it does not even achieve that. South Korea long ago gave up any ambition of marching north. North Korea's leaders retain the ambition of marching south. So the Korean armistice sustains not a peace, not Korean unity, but a high degree of mutual tension. Can that tension be ended without renewing the war? So I want to end these reflections today, quoting in question-and-answer form one thoughtful article which attempts to answer that very question. It was published by the Wall Street Journal on December the 23rd under the headline... Time to End the North Korean Threat. With the subheading, there are signs that Beijing is viewing the regime in Pyongyang as more strategic liability than asset. Now, that was arresting, but so was the author's name and position. The article, which is still freely available on the Internet via Google, is by Richard N. Haas, president of the Council on Foreign Relations a leading think tank on foreign policy. Haas starts by clearly stating an overall objective. Haas, the serious threat posed by North Korea far transcends cyberspace. Only one approach is commensurate with the challenge, ending North Korea's existence as an independent entity and reunifying the Korean peninsula. Haas then summarizes the nuclear threat. Quote, Pyongyang possesses between four and ten nuclear devices, as well as hundreds of short and intermediate-range missiles. The regime has active uranium enrichment and plutonium programs. It is only a matter of time before North Korea can place a nuclear warhead on one or more of its missiles and produce missiles capable of reaching the United States. The regime is already a known proliferation threat. A decade ago, it was helping to build a nuclear reactor in Syria, and it remains a potential source of missiles and nuclear materials to rogue states and to terrorists. Haas then reminds that North Korea still poses a serious conventional military threat. Haas. With a population of only 25 million, it maintains the fourth largest standing armed forces in the world. North Korea's active military forces are twice those of South Korea, even though its population is only half that of its far wealthier southern neighbour. Then Haas does not forget North Korea's domestic threat. North Korea is also a threat to its own people. A United Nations Commission of Inquiry reported earlier this year that it had committed crimes against humanity ranging from extermination and murder to enslavement and knowingly causing prolonged starvation. The regime holds 100,000 political prisoners captive in gruesome conditions. This report is currently, of course, before the United Nations Security Council for debate. Huss describes the essence of Sino-North Korean relations. Huss. For decades, Beijing has supported its North Korean ally out of a mixture of ideological commitment, strategic concerns to keep the peninsula from being united in the United States security orbit, and a desire to avoid refugee inflows. This support has been military, diplomatic, and above all, economic. Almost all of North Korea's foreign trade, as much as 90%, by some estimates, is with China. Beijing provides what is in effect a massive subsidy, as North Korea imports far more from China, possibly as much as $1 billion annually, than it exports to China. But Huss then suggests that the Chinese attitude may be changing. Huss, Increasingly, though one encounters public and private signs that Chinese officials are viewing North Korea as more strategic liability than asset, Beijing is frustrated that Pyongyang ignores its request to freeze or even dismantle its nuclear program, lest these efforts lead South Korea and Japan to develop their own nuclear weapons. More broadly, China has tired of an expensive relationship in which its interests are greater than its influence. Making matters worse was Kim Jong-un's decision to execute his uncle Jang Song-taek, widely viewed as being China's man in Pyongyang. Haas then emphasizes that the pattern of Chinese ties with the two Koreas is changing. Hus, quote, China needs years and more likely decades of relative stability in the region so that it can continue to address its many domestic challenges. North Korea is a threat to such stability. Meanwhile, China's ties with South Korea have flourished. China is the South's leading economic partner. Chinese leader Xi Jinping has travelled to Seoul, but not to Pyongyang. Haas then seeks to answer the question, what needs to be done? Haas, quote, The priority must be to persuade China that the demise of North Korea need not be something to fear. Washington and Beijing should convene talks about how they could manage scenarios, including North Korean collapse and North Korean aggression. Nuclear weapons and materials would need to be secured. Governments need to make plans to ensure U.S., South Korean and Chinese forces do not come into conflict. The U.S., China and South Korea also need to discuss the terms of reunification. The peninsula should be denuclearized. The disposition of U.S. troops should be on the table. There will be no need for U.S. troops on the 38th parallel of a unified country. Also, a matter for discussion should be the number mix and mission of any remaining U.S. forces. Haas concludes by admitting there are risks in seeking change, but there are even greater risks in doing nothing. Huss, quote, such talks would be aimed at getting china to rethink its near unconditional support of north korea the goal should be to highlight the realities of this dangerous and repressive regime and to make the case for why the citizens of north korea would be incomparably better off in a korea that was whole open and free such an outcome is surely ambitious and working to bring it about is not without risks But no one should underestimate for a moment the costs and the dangers of the alternative we have been living with for far too long."